0: Hello, and welcome to, to Audiobook Stories Podcast. I can't wait to read some stories to you all. These stories are based on regular storybooks, so it isn't really scary for the younger kids. Today I'm going to go over some things you could do to prepare yourself for some stories. First, you could go to a cozy place to sleep in, or just relax. Second, you could get your iPhone, iPod, iPad, or laptop to listen to stories third, you could turn on the podcast and enjoy. Three simple steps you could do to listen to some stories. Now, let's start continuing our first story. Our story today will still be Wings of Fire, Book 11, The Lost Continent. Let's get reading. Part two out of the hive chapter 13 they flew all the rest of that night swooping low into the savannah whenever the moons breached the clouds just in case anyone was watching them swordtail charted a course straight across the circle toward wasp hive which made sense but quickly brought them to a part of the savannah where dragons ver- rarely ventured the grass was long and wild, and shapes prowled below them. Growls and shrieks and curling, curling hoots rose from the darkness, slicing through the constant hum of the insects. Once he got over his fear, Blue found the rhythm of Swordtail's wings lulling him into kind of a doze. His friends seemed tireless, soaring on and on without stopping. Blue hoped Cricket was all right. He tried to call her a few times, but the wind whipped his voice away. After a long time, Blue noticed that he could see outlines of shrubs below him, gray and ghostly. He glanced up and saw an expanding band of yellow, pale yellow light along the edge of the sky. It's almost morning, he called up to Swordtail. We should hide for the day, that's what I think, Swordtail answered. It's still half a day's journey to Wasp Hive, and they'll be out looking for us in force today, and it would be better to get those there at night anyway. Night! An excellent time of day for heroics! Cricket? Blue called, trying to twist around to see her. Hide, she panted behind them. She looked exhausted, but her wings beat violently. Yes, good. Where? Where? Blue studied the savannah as far as he could see in each direction. The yellow grass rippled broken only by gnarled little shrubs, patches of barren dirt, or the winding path of dry riverbeds. The rainy season was coming soon, so the ground below them was dry. There was nothing large enough to hide in or hi- or under or behind. Hunting parties of hive wings would spot them from the air with no trouble at all. Disguise ourselves as grass, Tails suggested. Disguise ourselves as shrubs! Disguise ourselves as elephants. That's it. Let's do it. That stuff still hasn't worn off, Blue called to Cricket. Or I can build us a web, Soretail said. A giant web. And we can hide underneath it and they'll think there must be some massively enormous spiders colonizing the savannah. This will totally work. Let's fly a bit farther, Cricket said between breaths. Try to find somewhere. Blue barely blinked. He was staring so intently at the ground. Off to his left, he saw a herd of teeny tiny deer with enormous ears bounding through the grass, which was shorter and scrubbier here. A tall, long-necked, grey and white bird stalked slowly along one of the sun-baked riverbeds, ignoring the smaller birds that perched on its back or flew down to poke the barren soil. There was nowhere to hide. Blue's heart sank as they flew on and the sky grew brighter. This was a mistake. The savannah was the worst place they could have gone. And then, as the sun peeked over the horizon, he saw the vast looming shape of a hive in the distance. Wasp hive. His heart kicked hard in, in his chest. The home of Queen Wasp, the grandest and wealthiest of all the hives. The location of the temple, where the Book of Sight was worshipped and protected by generation after generation of librarians a hive full of power and soldiers and secrets, where the queen might be hiding his sister and his father and other flame silks. Are we really doing this? he thought with a sudden crashing anxiety. What are we doing? Do we think we can sneak into Wasp Hive of all places and find something the queen wants to stay hidden? Swordtail banked around, making Blue's stomach drop, and swooped back to Cricket. We shouldn't get any closer, he said. She might send out hunters from her own hive to search for us, too. And she's paranoid, which she is, which she should be, because he cut himself off abruptly and nodded a few times. Because reasons. But where? Cricket spiraled in the air. There's nothing out here. I didn't know it would be like this. She looked tired and worried, and Blue felt a surge of guilt for dragging her into this his mess. He tried to imagine what it must be like for her, far from home, helping two runaway silkwings, knowing how much trouble she'd be in if she was caught with them. "'Is that something over there?' Blue asked, pointing. There was a dark slash in the unending sea of cracked earth and yellow grass. "'Let's find out! Let's find out!' Swordtail said. He beat his wings and soared toward it. "'It's a hole!' Blue thought as they drew closer. "'A really big hole!' It looked as though the earth had suddenly dropped away here, a long time ago, leaving a cavernous shaft lined with moss-covered rocks and long, green plants trying to clamber out into sunshine. It was impossible to see the bottom, even when they landed on the rim and tried to peer down into it. Outcroppings of rock blocked most most of their view, and where they could see past those, all they saw was more darkness, disappearing down and down. Swordtail used his claws to cut away the silk connecting him and Blue. Blue took a few wobbly straps, shaking out his legs and trying to get the feeling back into them. "'Are you all right?' he asked Cricket, who was crouching on the edge of the sinkhole, holding her glasses with one talon as she peered down. "'Absolutely,' she said. "'What is this? How deep do you think it goes? What's at the bottom? How did it get this way? Have you ever seen anything like this?' I haven't been out on the savannah much I either, he admitted. I didn't know it had sinkholes. Are we going down it? she asked, turning to Swordtail. Can we? Her eyes were shining, as though her tiredness had evaporated evaporated in the excitement of a new discovery. I don't know, he said, hopping from one foot to another with restless energy. This seems like the most obvious place to hide, so I'll assume they'll check here, and then we'll be trapped at the bottom of a hole with no way to escape. I still think my elephant plan is the best. Elephants are great. I can look like an elephant, no problem. He struck an he struck an odd, dramatic pose, which Blue guessed was supposed to be was supposed to look elephant. What do you think? Cricket asked Blue. Swordtail of had a point. But where else could they hide? He turned to look over his shoulder at the distant shape of Wasp Hive. For a moment, he thought his vision had gone blurry, and then he thought, fleetingly, that a swarm of insects had surrounded the hive. But finally, with a chill of terror, he realized the buzzing motion around the city came from the wings of dragons pouring out of every window and door and shaking the webs with the wind. As they raised, dawn was here. The hunt had begun. We go down, he said, quickly, right now. Cricket didn't hesitate. She dove over the edge and vanished. Swordtail hooked his front talons under Blue's arms again and leaped off as well. They dropped down and down, pushing off from the craggy, lichen-covered walls when they got too close and maneuvering around bulbous outcroppings. The air got cooler and more damp as they descended. The shaft was narrow, leaving barely enough room in places for Swordtail to keep his wings spread. What if there's no bottom to this hole? Blue worried. Or what if the hyphains get here before we find the bottom? Did they know about the sinkhole? How long before they came to search it? Finally, below his claws, Blue saw the rocks converge into a kind of ground, although it was really just more rock. But at least he could stand on it, and it seemed to be the bottom. Bottom of the hole. Swordtail let him down gently, and hopped onto a ledge to stretch his wings. Blue glanced up at the tiny strip of sunlight far overhead, and then around for Cricket. The rock around under his feet slanted down and away from the shaft into a dark tunnel. It was the only way Cricket could have gone, so he followed uneasily. After a few steps, the tunnel widened into a cave, although by now the light was so dim that he couldn't tell how big it was. He heard the faint drip drop of water somewhere up ahead. Cricket, he whispered. Right here. She materialized out of the dark and brushed his shoulder with her wing. This cave is enormous, and watch a step, because there's a lake that starts a little ways down the slope. Lake, a lake, Blue, under the savannah. Would you have guessed? Isn't that wild? And there's something else strange. Come see, or I guess, feel. Seeing isn't really an option down here. She nudged him through the dark until he felt water lapping at his claws, and then, a few steps later, something bumped against his leg. He jumped back, thinking it was alive. But cricket reached for it and guided it into his talons, so he could feel th- that it was a large object floating on the surface of the lake. And there was no rope tied, and there was a rope tied to one end of it, which led to a stalagmite that jutted out from the rocky floor. A rope, which meant someone had been here before them. What do you think it is? She whispered to him. I have no idea. He whispered back. Someone must have left it like this. She said. Maybe to carry things across the lake. But why not just fly across with whatever they had to carry? This is so mysterious. Blue heard the rustle of wings as Sorel ducked into the cave with them. I think I heard voices up above, he whispered. Can we go deeper? Let's see, Cricket whispered back, barely a breath on it, barely a breath on the air. They felt their way deeper into the cave, staying close to the wall and skirting the edge of the lake. Soon that became impossible, as they ran out of shoreline, and they had to wade into the cold, still silk out uh, of the water. It was terrifying wading into the dark and ever deepening water, but not as terrifying as the thought of the hive wings behind them. Blue shivered as the water climbed up to his legs, lapped at his underbelly, and soon covered his wing buds. He had seen the ocean in the distance from the top of the webs, but he had never been submerged in water, and he certainly had no idea how to swim. If the water got any deeper, he wasn't sure he'd be able to go on. There's a passage in here, Cricket whispered, or an alcove or something, I think. Ripples flickered around as blue around blue as Cricket ducked away, and then came back to tug on his arm. He held out his tail for Swordtail to catch, and then led Cricket guide him under a dip in the roof. Now he could feel walls on either side of him, and to his surprise, here and there he saw what looked like sticky trails of light webbing, across the floor, roof above or sliding down the walls Cricket paused and brought her nose closer to one of these staring, studying it curiously for a moment before moving on they waded forward for what felt like a scent and then the passage curved ahead of them reflecting off the slick wet walls was a glow of firelight Blue froze touching Cricket's wing she stopped too with a little gasp. Fire! Is this it? Did we find where Queen Wasp is hiding the flame silks? Or what are we about to walk into? Chapter 14. Blue glanced back toward Swordtail, whose face was dimly visible in the fluorescent glow from the walls. Swordtail edged past them to take the lead, and they all inched forward, care- step by careful step. There was a cavern ahead, stalactites bubbled down from the high from a high ceiling streaks of orange and white marbled the stone walls shot through with veins of glittering black and gold ore the water lapped against the shore here before continuing into another wider tunnel rock formations twisted up in shapes like dragon tails making the cavern look like a weird forest of petrified trunks The firelight wasn't coming from any flames or dragons. It flickered from a small pile of burning sticks, not far from the water. And next to the fire, sitting with its back against one of the the stalagmites, was a creature Blue had never seen in any animal studies in school. It looked a bit like a monkey, but bigger and not quite so hairy, apart from a hat of floppy brown fur on top of its head. It had nimble little paws which were holding something that it was gazing at intently. Parts of it were wrapped in something like a cocoon made of jaguar fur and deep red silk. At first, it didn't notice the three dragons emerging from the tunnel. It was too immersed in whatever it was looking at. Blue and Cricket exchanged wondering glances. She looked as bewildered as he felt, but also enchanted. Then Blue stepped on a rock that turned under his talons, and he lurched forward with a small splash. The creature's head popped up, and its eyes as brown and as big as in its face as crickets, went wide. It jumped to its feet, revealing that it stood on two paws instead of four, dropped whatever it had been looking at, and drew a long knife from its cocoon. Blue and his friends stopped and stared at it. It stared at them. What is it thinking? Blue wondered. Can it think? What does it know about dragons? Is it just scared, or is it having other emotions? What a sweet little face it has, like a marmoset. But I've never seen a monkey with a knife before. Sometimes a monkey wandered up into the webs by accident, long sp- black spidery limbs racing up the hive vines and out into the free bridges. Blue remembered one that Io had played with for an ent- entire day. She wanted to keep it, but her parents made it take it back into the savannah and release it. They told her that if the hive wings found it, they would might eat it, and that would be much more upsetting. It, w- it was hard to argue with that. This monkey's limb seemed the wrong shape for climbing vines or swinging from trees, and its coiled energy was more like a panther's, poised to spring at them. "'Do you think it's really going to try stabbing us with that thing?' Cricket whispered. Her voice broke the spell. The creature spun around and fled between the stalagmites, disappearing through a crack in the wall behind it. "'Oh no!' Cricket cried. "'Wait! Come back!' She floundered through the water up into the shore and scrambled after the little, little animal. But the crack was too small for a dragon to fit through. She crouched beside the opening, trying to peek inside. I promise we won't hurt you, little monkey. What are you? Please come back. That was really cute, Blue said. He waded into the shore, carefully skirting the fire so he wouldn't accidentally put it out. After the darkness of the previous caves, it was nice to be able to see, and much warmer near a fire than in the lake. I thought it was freaky, Tail said. Weird little thing, did you see how it was looking at us? It was. I don't. He interrupted himself with an absolutely enormous yawn. Oh, um, I really want to know what it was. Cricket said, stamping one foot with frustration. I thought I'd studied all the flora and fauna here around here, even the prehistoric stuff. I don't remember any pictures that looks like that. She tipped her head up, staring into space as though she was flipping through pages in her mind. Not a gorilla, not a orangutan, not a chimpanzee. What in the hive? Blue picked up the object the creature had been looking at. Oh wow, Cricket, check this out. She wound her way back through the stalagmites toward him. He turned the thing over in his claws. The outside was flexible leather. leather. The inside was many layers of smooth, beaten paper and there were little marks all over each page. What? Cricket said, astonished. She took it from him and flipped through it gently. Is this a book? It can't be. Monkeys can't read books or read them. It's not a dragon book. It didn't come from a hive, Blue pointed out. Look how tiny it is. A dollhouse book? Cricket tried. Which monkey found which the monkey found it somewhere? She shook her head. No, you're right. This is the monkey's book. When we came in, I thought its expression looked familiar. That's because it was reading. She hugged the book to her chest mystery animals in a cave under the savannah who can actually read blue this is the biggest scientific discovery of our lifetime i wouldn't have to be a gardener if i told the queen about this i'm sure she'd let me change disciplines if i could study them don't you think i'm a little worried you'd have them all rounded up and eaten blue admitted cricket looked horrified no way is that really what you think of hive wings that because we eat meat we're heartless monsters Do all sickwinks think like that? Um, Blue said. I mean, I wouldn't have said heartless, but eating animals does seem kind of unnecessary. Cricket frowned and rubbed her head, as though she never spent any time thinking about whether eating animals was necessary. We don't eat everything, she said after a while. We don't eat lizards or snakes, since they're probably related to us. And I'm sure nobody would eat a species that can read and write and might be as smart as we are. A loud rumbling sound broke into their conversation before Blue could answer. They both spun around in a fright and discovered it was the sound of Swordtail snoring. The silk Silkwing was passed out by the fire. Wings flopped across the stone as he'd staggered out of the water and collapsed in the first dry place he found. Well, that makes sense, Blue said. He did carry me halfway across the savannah. He probably needs to sleep for a week to recover. He caught himself. It was only a joke, but who knew what would happen to Soretail as the stimulant wore off? They couldn't afford to have Soretail sleep for a week. They needed to get to Luna as soon as possible before she emerged from her cocoon all alone. Do you want to sleep too? Cricket asked. I can keep an eye out in case any hive wings come all the way down into the cave, find the passage, and follow it through to here. Which I don't think they will. No, you should sleep, and I'll take first watch, Blue said. You were flying all night too. He could easily imagine how tired her wings must be. If he were in her scales, he knew he'd be feeling very anxious and emotional as well, given the stress of running away from her own tribe and upending her safe hive wing life. Surely even the excitement of discovering a new intelligent species couldn't outweigh the danger she'd put herself in. Which she did for me, to help me. "'All right,' Cricket said with a yawn. "'If you're really sure, I wouldn't mind sleeping a little bit.' "'Of course.' He watched her stretch her wings and curl up on the rock, close enough for him to touch her talons if he needed to wake her. Her orange-gold scales rose and fell, slower and slower as she drifted off to sleep. The firelight flickered little shadows across her back, as though the ink-blot splatter patterns were spreading and shrinking and dancing. Maybe she is not as scared as I would be, he thought. Maybe, for her, finding out new things is enough to drive out her fear. Maybe this feels like an adventure to her. But that was hard for him to imagine, especially when he pictured the army of mind-controlled Hivewings far above them combing the grasslands stalk by stalk. Who wouldn't be afraid of that? Maybe Sortail, his best and bravest friend. He was a dragon who'd face an entire army to save Luna or Blue. His courage had always seemed foolish and dangerous and impulsive to Blue, but now he wished even he had a tenth of it himself. He lay down with his chin on his front talons and thought about everyone who'd become entangled in this web. I.O. who could be anywhere right now, Burnett and Silverspot, alone and worrying about their children. Katie did, wondering where her sister was. All of the highlings who were being forced to hunt for him, whether they understood why or not. And somewhere in the center of that web, Queen Wasp, stealing the flame silks and using her subjects like puppets. Was she angry right now, or coldly certain that she'd find him soon? At least Luna was unaware of all this. Somewhere deep in her cocoon, she was asleep, growing her wings in peace. She had no idea what kind of chaos her metamorphosis had set off, or what strange new prison she was going to wake up in. I'm coming, Luna, he thought fiercely. Soretail and I will find you. You're not going to wake up alone. I promise. I promise. Chapter 15. Blue stood at the bottom of the sinkhole, looking up. He could barely see the glow of moonlight reflecting off some of the rocks far overhead. His tail flicked a damp patch of moss on one of the rocks, and he shivered. Do you think it's safe to go up? Cricket asked. Hive wings prefer to hunt by day, Swordtail pointed out. Their night vision is poor, and they're lazy and arrogant, so I'm sure they're at home asleep, confident they'll catch us tomorrow. Cricket blinked at him, looking slightly hurt. I'm not home asleep. She observed. Right, Blue said. That's not fair, Swordtail. They're not all lazy and arrogant. They're dragons, just like you and me and everyone we know. Some bad and some good. Dragons who have stolen your sister and spent the last day hunting you so they can throw you in their secret prison, too, Swordtail said sharply. That's Queen Wasp making them do that, Blue said. They're not at all like her. So what? They let her be like that and never complain or speak up because it means they get to be comfortable, Swordtail said. Sorry, Blue. I'm not in the mood to feel sorry for the bad guys right now. He spread his wings and launched himself up the shaft. I'll go check if the coast is clear. Blue sighed as Sortail flew away. The strange, frantic energy of the stimulant had worn off, and after sleeping almost the entire day, Swordtail had woken up pretty much his normal self again, which was great, except for how this normal self could sometimes be big honking rhinoceros trampling over anyone else's feelings. I'm sorry, he said to Cricket. Don't be, she said. He's right. I never worried about how we treat silk wings or what happens to flame silks before. Neither did I, really, Blue admitted. But you're helping us now. You're not like the others. If Queen Wasp could control my mind, I would probably be, she said. It's just luck or some kind of mystery science that doesn't work on me. Swordtail swooped back down toward them. All quiet, as far as I can see and hear, he said. If we fly now, we should make it to Wasp Hive before morning. And then what? Cricket asked. Then we'll figure something else out, he said. That sounds like a Sword tail kind of plan, Blue thought. But he didn't have anything better to offer, so he kept quiet. Swordtail spun a harness around Blue again and braced his forearms around Blue's chest. All right, he said. Off we... He vaulted into the air and immediately lost his balance, smacking into the side of the canyon and thudding to ground again. Blue's claws barked painfully against the stone and he yelped. Oof, Swordtail grunted. Sorry, let me just... He braced his legs and shoved himself aloft again, clutching Blue even more tightly. No luck. Blue could feel himself slipping, even with the harness, and Swordtail's muscles were clearly straining to hold him. His wings beat as hard as he could, but a moment later he had to drop back down. Uh oh, Cricket said, hovering above them. Blue glanced up at the far distant top of the hole again. Uh-oh was a big of an understatement was a bit of an understatement. Swordtail sliced away the silk connecting them and crouched, gasping for breath. If you can't carry him anymore, Cricket said, how are we going to get Blue out of this cave? I don't understand why. <coughs> I can't, Swordtail protested. Swordtail protested. I carried him all day yesterday, and it was no trouble at all. He flexed his arms and winced. I guess I do feel a little sore now. It was a stimulant," Cricket said. It made you stronger and gave you energy, but only until it wore off. That is so interesting. I wonder if anyone has the idea that it has that effect on dragons, or if other scientists have only ever used it on plants. Her eyes went a little dreamy. Maybe for the science fair next year. Do you have any more of it? Sortail asked, eyeing the pouch tied across around her chest. She shook her head. No, and I wouldn't suggest taking it from a normal state, she said, not without some delicious experiments and animal studies first. I mean, you started off completely paralyzed, and look what it did to you. What it what did I say? Sortail asked. Did I sound like a total idiot? You were fine, Blue assured him. It was adorable. Oh, good, Swordtail grumbled. Adorable is just the look I was going for on a heroic mission. So what else can we do, Cricket said, studying the rocks around them. Blue, could you climb out? Of course, Sortail answered for him. Silkwings are all great climbers. Well, maybe, but... All that way? Blue said, his courage failing. I mean, I don't mind the climbing part, but the maybe falling part, and the very long way to fall, and the certain death if I fall parts. Those I'm kind of less excited about. Plus, there's no way he'll make it to the top before morning, Surtail said. And then what do we do? Climb back down? Risk the open savannah again? There might be another option. Hang on, Cricket said. She spread her wings and flew away. Up and up till Blue could hardly see the shimmer of her sunlight colored scales. He had a horrible moment of imagining that she might not come back, that she'd reached the top, realized that she could just go home and leave them all leave them and their all their messy, troublesome danger behind. Blue, Sir Tail said in a low voice. Blue glanced at him and saw pity in his friend's dark blue eyes. Remember how you warned me once about failing? Falling in love with Luna, Swordtail said, folding his wings back. You said we might not be partnered together. You said it would be better for both of us if we could wait to fall in love until we knew who our partners would be. Blue looked down at his claws. That felt like a very foolish thing to say right now. As though a dragon could inject a nerve toxin into his feelings and leave them paralyzed until they might be useful. But he'd imagined how Luna and Swordtail would feel if Queen Was separated them and it had been so awful. He'd been trying to protect them from that. This is much worse, Blue, Swordtail said. She's a hive wing. You can never, never be with her. You should tell her to go home now before it's too hard to say goodbye. I think it already is, Blue said softly. At least for me. Swordtail put one wing over Blue's back and rested his head against Blue's. I was afraid of that, he said. Cricket came swooping back down in flapping of wings and landed on an outcropping a little ways above them. There's a crevice near the top, she said. It's not very big, but I think Blue could hide in it. If we can get him to it by morning, he could wait out the day there and then we'd keep going to Wasp Hive tomorrow night. Blue felt the tension ripple through Swordtail's body. He knew what, what he was feeling. Another day's delay with a... A whole night wasted on one wingless dragon climbing out of a hole. When Luna was out there and needed their help, now. You can go on without me if you'd rather, he said to Soretail. He could see that Sortail was tempted. After all, what well, use was Blue going to be in a rescue anyway? He couldn't exactly fight, and if they had to escape in a hurry, he would massively slow them down. No, don't do that, Cricket said. I was hoping you'd use your silk to help Blue climb out, she pointed up to catch him if he falls. Oh, Surtail said, light dawning in his eyes as he, he saw what she meant. Of course, that's a good idea. Cricket is full of good ideas, Blue said. She ducked her head and smiled at him, and he felt his heart explode. Definitely too late. I can't say goodbye to her. Even if it means I'll, it'll hurt more later, I'll st- I still want to be with her for as long as I can. All right, let's try this, Sirtail said, again shooting silk from his wrists, this time the thicker, stronger strands that were usually for bu- used for building web bridges. He wound it around Blue, leaving his limbs free to climb, and then leaped up to the edge, ledge above Cricket, still holding the other end of the silk. Go ahead, he called. All right, this is happening, Blue thought. He sent up a silent prayer to clear sight and started up the side of the rocky canyon. In fact, it was easier to climb than he'd expected. There was a lot of little crevices and nooks for him to dig his talons into, and the stone overall felt much sturdier than the webs he'd grown up clambering around on. At least the rocks didn't bounce and sway in the wind. And when he did stumble, losing his footing for a moment, he felt the strength of the webbing catch him. The strength of Swordtail, just above him, braced to save him before he fell. And Cricket was beside him the whole way, suggesting the easiest paths, pointing out places for him to rest. Not for the first time. Blue felt very, very grateful for his friends. Even though climbing the win- even though the climbing went well, it seemed to b- take forever. It was a really deep hole, after all. Blue's whole body was aching before he was halfway up. He found himself daydreaming wistfully about honey drops and tiny sugar bees and silk hammocks. Then when at last Cricket said, It's here, just above you, and he looked up and saw that the sky was already pale grey, and most of the stars had disappeared. Cricket was right, they were near the top, and he'd be able to climb out early the next night. If he didn't, if he wasn't caught by then, with one last heave, he hauled himself onto the ledge next to Cricket, letting Sortail help him lift with the webbing. He sprawled there, breathing hard and wondering if his legs would ever work again. Swordtail poked his head over the rim of the sinkhole and squinted in the direction of Wasp Hive. "I don't see anyone yet," he said, flying back to them. "But you should still get hidden to be safe. Back here," Cricket flicked, flicked her tail at. The, the rippling stone of the rock wall. Blue crawled over and saw how the bend of the rock and the dangling plants hid a narrow crack, just big enough for him to squeeze through. He was amazed that Cricket had even found it in the first place. She held the green leaves aside so he could wedge himself in, and he discovered that the crack extended into the rock, like a small cave, so he could go farther in, squishily turning around, and lie down. Cricket poked her head in and watched him settle. Do you want company, which would be kind of cramped, or do you want the whole space, but alone? Company, Blue said, if if you don't mind. I don't mind if you don't mind my wings in your face, she said. She wriggled back out to tell Swordtail, and Blue heard the whoosh of his friend's wingbeats retreating back down to the safety of the lake cave. Then Cricket was wedging herself through, through the gap, making little squeaking noises as she tried to keep her wings clear of the rough stones. Blue pressed himself back as far as he could, and after a minute she managed to get all the way in and lie down facing him. Thank you for your delightful invitation, she said in a pretend lordly voice, adjusting her glasses. I adore what you've done with the place. I'll be expecting tea and sliced avocados, of course. Blue put his chin on his talons and chuckled. Don't make me think about food. I can't stop thinking thinking about food she said i'm starving those fish i caught for breakfast are were so small and super weird did you see that they didn't have eyes oh right i showed you fish with no eyes do you think that's because there's no light down there i guess i wouldn't rather eat something with eyes but you should have tried them anyway i could have caught more that's all right Blue said with a smile i can wait for something in the vegetable family cricket studied him "'What will you do with Luna?' she asked. "'I mean, if you can set her free, where will you go? "'Queen Wasp isn't going to stop looking for you.' "'I have no idea,' Blue said slowly. "'Honestly, he'd been imagining getting Luna and going home to their mothers. "'A part of him still felt as though this was a big misunderstanding. "'And if he could only convince Queen Wasp of how harmless they were, "'she'd let them go back to their normal lives.' "'I wish we could do that.' "'Why can't there be a way?' Although, would it ever feel the same now that I know about flame silks and the mind control? Would we ever feel safe again? Maybe you could go live in the caves with the reading monkeys, Cricket said with a dreamy smile in her voice, as though she was making a joke, but actually thought that sounded amazing. The one that we did saw did look very welcoming, Blue laughed, in a stabby kind of way. But I'd go farther away if I were you she said, as far as Queen Wasp as you can. "'Like one of the peninsulas?' he asked. "'I thought they were too dangerous for dragons.' "'That's what we're told,' Cricket said, nodding. "'But maybe it's not true.' Blue wasn't so sure. He'd seen drawings of some of the plants in the Poison Jungle, and they'd certainly looked as if they'd be happy to eat a few dragons, or impale some dragons, or melt some dragons and convert their bone sludge into m- nutrients.' You could go farther than that, though, Cricket said hesitantly. I could, he said. How? Maybe... Across the ocean, she said. He stared at her with wide eyes. Her body blocked most of the dim light from outside, so he couldn't really see the expression on her face. Was she joking? Are you joking, he said. The distant kingdoms aren't real. The tilt of her head said she was puzzled. Of course they are. That's where Clearsight came from. Yes, but Clearsight was magic. Blue had always imagined the night black seer dragon as a mythological figure, like a star becoming a dragon, and flying down to visit them. We say she came from the distant kingdoms, but we might as well say she came from the moons or the sky. The moons and the sky are real places too, Cricket pointed out. Not places we can go, he protested. But we could go to the distant kingdoms, Cricket said. I'm sure of it. It's just another big island, somewhere out of the east, full of other dragons. He stared at her silhouette, thinking of how different their educations had been. At Silkworm Hall he'd learned to revere Clearsight and accept the wisdom she passed down in the book without question. He'd never been able he'd never been taught to think of her as a regular dragon like him from a normal kingdom like his. Other dragons like Clear Sight? he asked. Is it a whole continent full of dragons who can see the future? I don't know, Cricket uh, said. Maybe. Wouldn't it be so interesting to find out? Can you imagine being the first dragons to, cro- to cross the oceans in thousands of years? I mean, what kind of tribes live over there? Do they look like us? Do they have other powers? Do they have reading monkeys? But if it is real and it. It's that easy to get there, Blue argued. Then Clearsight wouldn't be the only one to have done it in all that time. He shook his head. I think it's a myth. I think it's the perfect place to hide if Queen Wasp is looking for you, Cricket said. But you're right that it wouldn't be easy to get there. We'd have to find out how Clearsight did it. Magic, Blue said promptly. Cricket leaned forward and hopped, bopped his nose with hers. Magic is just science we don't understand yet, she said. So maybe we can figure out in her science, her science. What, how exactly? He asked. With books, Cricket said, as though that was obvious. There must be clues in a book somewhere. He unfurled his antennae, sensing danger, and put one of the talent, his talons over hers. Shh. They were sounds coming from outside. Chapter 16. Blue and Cricket waited in tense silence. Wingbeats, voices, a whoosh, then a cracking sound, like an antelope's neck being broken, and munching noises as it was devoured. Blue shivered. Who said you could eat? Said one of the voices, deep and sharp and female. I didn't eat at all yesterday, another voice answered, whiny and male, You know, she never lets us. Well, she's in control, so I figure, as long as we're out here and in charge of our own skulls for once, we can have breakfast and runaway silklings at the same time. The other hidewing growled, but there was a noise of ripping meat, as though she'd taken a chunk of the prey for herself. This is a waste of time, she muttered, chewing. Who cares about one stupid dragonette who might or might not have fire in his silk? He probably got eaten by a pack of lions or fell down a hole and died already. A hole like this one? Voices drew nearer and Blue felt Cricket's wings trembling. Should we check down there? Ugh, said the first dragon. My patrol went down there yesterday. It's dark and wet and haunted. I think we can skip it. Hello! The second dragon shouted into the chasm, making Blue jump. Hello, annoying wingless dragon! Are you dead at the bottom of these rocks? We're almost dead! Could you croak? Yeah, I'm here. Totally dead. Carry on. So we can all go home and say we found you? His companion actually laughed, which was the most surprising part of the conversation so far from Blue's point of view. "'Come on, finish your intestines so we can get going,' she said. "'There are some scrub thickets over there by Test Hive that I think are worth checking out.' It felt like a long time, and a lot of chewing noises later, when they finally flew away. Blue lit out a breath and wondered how long he'd been holding it. His limbs were aching and heavy from the long night of climbing. And now that the danger had passed, he felt his eyelids drooping. It seemed safe enough to sleep. If anyone found him, he couldn't exactly escape in a hurry anyhow.' He rested his chin on the ground and closed his eyes and slept. Blue slept for most of the day, drifting in and out when there were sounds of the hunt overhead. But each time he woke, Cricket was there, and he felt safe enough to sleep again. At last, she nudged him awake, and they squeezed out of the hidden crevice into the, onto the ledge outside. The sky was turning purple-blue, and a few stars were out. Blue stretched out all his cramped muscles while Cricket flew down to get Swordtail. After that, it only took a little more climbing before he had reached the top of the sinkhole and scrambled onto the safe, flat ground. It was sh- strange how dry it felt up here, after the dampness of the deep cave. Dust billowed up between his claws as he cut off the silk harness and threw it down the hole. Now that he wasn't flying, though, Queen Hive looked horribly far away. Could they possibly make it there before dawn? Even if they did, there would be... Would there be any more else to hide as safe as a sinkhole? I'll scout ahead, Sortail called, soaring away. His deep blue wings were soon swallowed up by the night, and all Blue could see of him were the little flickers of white along his back, like a flurry of snow moths. Cricket landed to walk beside Blue, between the tufts of grass and stabby little thorn bushes. He glanced down at his talons and realized that a lot of paint had flaked off, probably from wading in the lake and scraping against the rocks. His real colors were showing through all over his body, glints of aquamarine and violet shimmering like buried jewels. They went as fast as they could, although sometimes they had to det- detour around particularly dense shrubs or anthills as big as they were. As one, at one point, a scorpion ran across Blue's foot, and he nearly shrieked, but managed not to. The air was full of buzzing and zipping, and the tall grass rustled as two snakes glided out of their way. Two of the moons were full, the other bar- was barely a sliver behind a veil of clouds. Cricket tipped her head back to look up th- at them. Did you see that comet ha- about half a year ago? She asked. The big, the one that looked like an extra moon in the sky? It was so big. I wished I, I wished so much that I had a telescope to study study it with. But there was only one in Cicada Hive, and Lady Cicarb S- won't lend it to anyone. You know, Lady Cicarb. "'You know Lady Sicarb?' she replied skeptically. "'No, we just ran into her in the sugar dream, "'early on moon as the Metamorphosis day. "'She was... I feel like nice is the wrong word, "'but she was sort of fiercely not awful to us.' "'That sounds like her,' Cricket said ruefully. "'Fiercely not awful.' "'Blue sensed there was more to Cricket's connection with the old dragon, "'but she didn't seem to want to talk about it. "'He changed the subject to astronomy.' And they happily discussed constellations and her theories about other planets until Blue realized they were reaching the outskirts of Wasp Hive. They crested a small hill and studied the structures laid out below them. Wasp Hive was not quite like the other hives. It was bigger, for one thing, and the oldest hive on, the Pentala, on Pentala, so it was built in a heavier, more ornate, ornate style. There were carvings of cruel-eyed wasps adorning the entrances, brandishing the wealth of the hive in their access wood and oink's inlays. Enormous marble statue of Queen Wasp loomed over the ground floor doors, so anyone entering that way wouldn't have to pass under her merciless gaze. But most dragons would enter at a higher level. Blue glanced up at the moonlit webs twining overhead. He could see the dark forms of a silkwing family clusters up there, hundreds of sleeping dragons, like stones seen through water. Did any of them know about flame silks? Did any of them help in prison and feed dragons like Luna and his father? Did they hate it every day, or was it just a normal job to them? He wondered if the chrysalis extended across the hives, and whether any of them were in it. All around the hives were neatly laid out rows of enormous greenhouses, at least 30 of them, in concentric circles surrounding the base of the hive. Some were wild with growth, leaves riding against the glass roofs. Others were quieter. In with orderly rows <coughs> of vegetables and soil boxes visible inside. That many greenhouses. So much glass. She needed fire to make that glass to build these. Blue thought, fire she took from silk wings. from my dad, flame silk was necessary to everything the queen did. She wasn't going to let them go easily. Swordtail landed softly behind them, beside them. The main door is bar- barred for the night and possibly guarded inside as well. There's no way in there. He tipped his head back to study the hive. Let's think, we could climb onto one of the ledges? Cricket asked, using vines in your silk for blue? Blue eyed the smooth walls of the hive uncertainly. It looked like a much more treacherous climb than the one out of the sinkhole, and the nearest opening was a very long way up. Or he said slowly, "We could hide of those greenhouses, at least until we know a little more." That's a good point, Cricket said. If we go into the hive, we might get trapped in there, and it might not even be the right place to look, right? But if we find a place to hide, tomorrow I can go in and ask about where, ask around about where the silk fl- flame silks might be. Blue gave her gave her an alarmed look. By yourself? Of course, she said. You two are probably all over the wanted posters by now. Who cares about me? I'm just a hive wing doing normal hive wing things. Like suddenly appearing in the hive that's not your own, Blue asked, said. Asking obvious questions about the very thing that's got the queen running dragon hunts all over the savannah. They won't be obvious questions, Cricket objective, objected. They will be very subtle. I'm an exceptionally subtle dragon, sir. Hmm, Blue said dubiously. Besides, it won't be suspicious because everyone will be talking about flame silks right now, she pointed out. And someone has to know where they are. Swordtail was shaking his head. That's another day wasted, he said. Luna's only going to be in her cocoon for five days. We have to find her before she comes out, and before Blue starts his own metamorphosis. Blue twitched, startled. His own metamorphosis. Swordtail was right. That was... soon. Very, very soon. Where am I supposed to have my metamorphosis if I can't go back to the cocoon? And how can I help Luna if I'm stuck inside my own silk? I say we storm the hive right now, Shorttail went on. I fly in and start knocking over guards, force them to tell me where she is. I'd call that a splendid plan, Cricket said, if it resembled a plan in any way. You'll end up in the wasp hive version of Misbehavior's Way before the sun is over the horizon, Blue agreed. And the wasp hive version might be more like Headless Corpse's Way. Cricket added. Soretail stamps his feet. I can't sit around all day again. We're not sitting around, Cricket said. We're spying and gathering information and thinking. You'd be surprised what a useful step that is when it comes to plans. She started down the hill toward the greenhouses and two silkwings and the two silkwings followed her, Soretail grumbling under his breath. Blue felt guilty for being on Cricket's side. Of course he wanted to rescue Luna as much as Sortail did but he didn't want to fight any guards or demand answers or rush in all teeth bared. He kind of wanted to do whatever would get him in the least trouble that would also help Luna. The greenhouses were all the same size, which was remarkably ra- remarkably large and divided from one another by neat gravel paths. Stakes with signs and arrows printed on them pointed the way to particular types of plants, and a list was affixed to the door of each greenhouse. Carrots, beans, eggplants on one, clementines, limes on another, Papyrus bamboo on a third. They avoided the greenhouses that were too tidy, where every corner was visible, and headed for the ones that looked the most overgrown. These are probably tended every day, Blue realized as they walked between the towering glass walls. He was starting to feel about anxious about his plan. Gardeners will come to water the plants and find us. I will bonk them and conk them out, Swordtail declared. Poor dragons, just trying to do their jobs and take care of some plants. They don't deserve a day of being knocked unconscious plus a massive headache, Blue thought. Well, said his brain unexpectedly, you don't deserve to be chased around the savannah and treated like a mass murderer, so perhaps there's a little unfairness going around. He wrinkled his forehead, thinking about that. Did their injustice toward him mean that he'd be justified in hurting them? He wasn't the kind of dragon who ever hurt other dragons, but he could imagine what Luna would say. You're allowed to fight back. You should, when the world is like this. Look, Cricket whispered, pointing to one of the last greenhouses, the innermost circle near the back of the hive. The plant growth inside was dense and leafy, but what was even more interesting was the fact that the door was covered with a silk-spun web barrier. They crossed to it and read the sign beside the door. Do not enter by order of Queen Wasp, property of the Queen, trespassing punishable by maiming, dismemberment, impaling, and death in that order. Blue lightly tapped the silk with one of his claws, and the threads vibrated. This is here so she'll know if anyone tries to break in. Can you recreate it? Crickets asked Soretail. From inside? It seems like a perfect place to hide. If, If no one can come in here... Except, you know, Queen Wasp, Blue pointed out. Yeah, but she probably won't, Cricket guessed. This sign is really clear, though, Blue said anxiously. No trespassing at all, maiming and impaling and death. I mean, this sign seems to think it's a really serious rule. I think keep, I think keep Blue safe from brainwashed hive wings is a more serious rule, Cricket said firmly. "Yeah, I can do this," said Soretail, who'd been studying the web. "It might not be an exact match, but it should look convincing enough from a distance." As Blue watched nervously, Sortail carefully dismantled the web enough for Cricket to open the door. She stepped inside and let out a small gasp. "It's not, it's really hot in here," she whispered back to them. "How does she keep it this hot?" "I have a guess," Sortail hissed. He scowled at the silk spiraling out of his wrist as he started re-reeving the door and cover. Blue squeezed in behind Cricket and felt the humidity hit him along with several flapping wet leaves. It was like walking into a storm cloud. He glanced down and wondered if the stone floor was lined with flame soap to keep it this temperature. "'Why do you think Queen Wasp keeps everyone out of here?' Cricket whispered to him. Does it, "'Do any of these plants look unusual to you?' "'I recognize some of them, but not all of them.' "'Huh.' She brushed his shoulder with her wing, and they moved further into the tangle of greenery. That was a good question, Blue realized. One he hadn't thought about because he was so tangled up in anxiety about breaking the rules. What was in here that Queen Wasp wanted to keep secret? Why Why was this place so forbidden? Now that he could see there were beds of dirt edged with boulders, and something like a path between them. But the plants had grown so wild that they vaulted over the paths. Twined their branches together, and flung down curtains of hanging moss and trailing vines to disrupt any possible order. He and Cricket had to duck and weave through the greenery, and he kept getting his claws snagged on roots and unexpected runners. There were flowers everywhere, too. Glorious purple exploding stars, delicate pale orange orange orchids, clusters of petals as the color of the bananas, and odd little globes in ruby red and sapphire blue. What are these? Cricket whispered, mostly to herself, fingering a vine of bright pink tendrils. And those? Why haven't we studied these? How did she get these two to grow next to each other? Whoa, is that a new kind of fern? She wandered ahead, murmuring questions, while Blue stopped to watch a really surprisingly cute snail sauntering up slowly up a tree trunk. Suddenly, Cricket's voice was cut off with a shriek that was quickly muffled. Blue's head jerked up. Was Queen Wasp here, inside the greenhouse? Had she caught Cricket? He ran after her, stumbling as he fought through vine tangles and got smacked in the face by 80 more large, wet leaves. He had to explain to the Queen that none of this was Cricket's fault. He had to turn himself in. He pushed through a curtain of moss and felt himself seized by strong claws. They threw him to the floor, flipped him on his back, and tied all his talons together before he could even blink. He opened his mouth to yell for Cricket, and another vine immediately looped around his snap, snapping his jaw shut. It felt as if barely a moment had passed, but there he was, lying on the ground, completely helpless. Blue craned his neck to look for Cricket and spotted her, tied up the same way he was, and propped up against a tree. Standing over her was a wiery, dark green dragon. So, not Queen Wasp, he thought. Could that be the Silkwing who covered the door for her? He tried to twist around to see his own attacker, and realized there were three of them altogether. All of them had scales and shades of dark green, and they were all poised and waiting to catch Swordtail, who was blundering toward the noise and Blue and Cricket had made. And then, Blue noticed something. Their captors. They had two wings each, not four long, graceful, swooping wings, shaped like leaves. Chapter 17. Leaf wings! They weren't extinct. They were here, in Queen Wasp's greenhouse, attacking dragons. Real, actual leaf wings. The posters were right. I should alert a Hiving Authority immediately. Blue thought, feeling a little hysterical. But I can't believe, but I can't because they'll arrest me. But leaf wings! This is close to Wasp Hive! He tried to grunt loudly to warn Swordtail, but it didn't do any good. The trio of leaf wings moved with ruthless efficiency, and within a few heartbeats, Swordtail was tied up next to Blue, blinking with similar, similar bewilderment. Are there any more? One of them asked. I'll check, said another, and he quietly melted off into the trees. There was a long moment of silence. Blue glanced over at Cricket again. She was watching the leafwings with the same wide-eyed expression that he had when she saw the reading monkey in the cave. This is not an exciting scientific discovery, Cricket, he wanted to shout. These are very dangerous dragons. The leafwings had tried to wipe out both their tribes in the last war. Wasn't she deathly afraid of them? He tried to look at the leaf wings with Cricket's eyes. Maybe he would be less scared that way. Maybe he just needed them to see them as fascinating and unusual instead of deadly and really extremely deadly. The two that had stayed were both female, and their faces were similar enough that he wondered if they were related. The one was standing by Cricket looked no older than he was, about six years old, although he had no idea if leaf wings grew differently than silk wings. Small gold scales were speckled along the edges of her wings and talons and across her snout, crinkled up in her scowl. The other one was a lot older and bigger, with an air of authority about her that made Blue instinctively want to hide, or say he was sorry, or both. Her scales were lighter green with patches of brown, and she had a strange pale burn scar splattered across her talons and up her forearms. Her scowl was also pretty terrifying. Both dragons had several small pouches hung about them, woven from long grass or fashioned from leaves. Blue wondered what was inside, but had a sinking feeling that he would regret finding out. "What "'What are they thinking?' he wondered. The matching scowls were a pretty good clue that whatever it was, the general sentiment was hostile. How long have they been here? What are they here for? Are they glad they caught us or annoyed that we stumbled into their hiding place?' Most important, what are they going to do with us? The leaf rustled and the male leafwing returned. He was a dark green enough to disappear into the shadows and wore a small white seashell and a cord around his neck. He shook his head at the others, no one else. Good, said the older female. Did they break the web on the door? Yes, he said, but rebuilt it. He's full of them, she said. Ha! Blue thought, momentarily distracted from his panics. Panic. How did the leafwings get in? They can't spin silk, so they couldn't have covered the door themselves. Could could Queen Wasps know they're here? He doubted that. Queen Wasps hated the leafwings for refusing to accept, accept her rule. Why would she keep the three of them stashed in a greenhouse? Across from me, Cricket flicked her tail, trying to get the smaller leafwing's attention. But the scowling dragonette ignored her. The tall female, who seemed to be the leader of the group, scanned her three captives with calculating green eyes. At last she stepped forward and yanked the rope off Blue snout. Ow, he yelped. Who are you? she demanded. And what are you or what are you doing here? She jerked her head at Cricket. Two silklings with a high thing? Do you work for her? No, Blue said. She's my friend. The youngest leafling let out a scornful laugh, but Blue's interrogator looked intrigued. Hivewings don't befriend silklings, she said. They control you. They enslave you. They order you about. But then, what's that you signed up for? That's what you signed up for, isn't it? I, um, Blue said. I didn't sign up for anything, I think. True, said the male leafling, too young. Don't be so literal, Hemlocked, the leader scoffed. You, tell me your names. I'm Blue, he said. That's Cricket, and that's... He trailed off as he turned to doortail and found him furious, shaking his head. Uh, someone else. Trying to keep secrets won't do any good at this point, the leafling said. I only see two ways for this to end. With y'all helping us, or dead? In the former case, it'll be much easier if we know your names. Or we could skip to the later, latter case right now. Swordtail growled, and the little leafling bared her teeth at him. What What are your names? he tried, thinking that was astonishingly brave of him. The leafling smiled slightly. I'm Belladonna, and that's Hemlock. Our daughter is Sundew. Why would you tell them that? Sundew snapped in a burst of fury. They can't help us. They'll turn us in the moment they get a chance. We should kill them now and leave their corpses somewhere. That'll really scare those worms in the hive. She lifted one of her wings and pulled out a fiery red centipede out of the pouch. It flailed violently in the air, waving all its feet and hissing. Sundew, Belladonna said warningly. Save that for later. Corpses lying around will notify the queen we're here, which will make our mission harder. Remember? Sundu dropped the centipede back in its pouch. Her scowl deepened. But besides, Blue said, killing us will probably make the queen very happy. And I think maybe you don't want to do that? Belladonna narrowed his eyes at him. The queen wants you dead? Why? Well, he said. But he'd never been a good liar, and he couldn't come off with anything fast enough, and he didn't know what the right thing to say might be, so he went with the truth. She wants me locked up in case I'm a flame silk. He held out his wrists, which looked as ordinary as ever, other than being covered in flaking paint. And she probably wants not dead because he attacked some guards to save my sister, and then he escaped in a cicada hive. Cricket, she doesn't know about Cricket yet, I hope. But if she did, she'd be mad because Cricket's been helping us hide from her. A helpful hive wing, Belladonna said thoughtfully. She regarded Cricket in a way that made Blue think of quicksand and crawler vines at midnight. That does sound like a useful dragon to know. Sounds like a bunch of four-winged lies, Sundew spat. If the queen wants you locked up, you'd be locked up. Not necessarily. She wants your whole tribe dead, and apparently you're, uh, not all that dead, Blue pointed out. By the way, how are you all not dead? Is there a lot of you left? Where have you been living? None of your business, Sundu hissed, as if we'd tell you anything, tree killers. Tree killers, Blue thought, startled. What an awful name. Was that how Leaflings saw the two other tribes? Of course it must be. After all, that's what we did. Even the silklings though? The silklings only cut down the trees under orders. They, mo- But they mostly stayed out of the way as much as they could. But if I were a leaf wing, I would see hive wings destroying my home and silk wings helping or standing by. If you're trying to hide from Queen Wasp, Belladonna interjected, What are you doing in her greenhouse? Blue hesitated again, Swordtail shaking his head so hard, Blue thought it might topple right off his neck. But... So what if these leafwings knew about Luna? The longer he talked, the longer they all stayed alive. And maybe if he explained and promised not to tell anyone they'd seen the leafwings, Belladon would decide to let them go. After all, it had to be pretty clear that he and his friends wouldn't be talking to Queen Wasp or any Hive Wing Guards anytime soon. We're looking for my sister," he said. "She's a flame silk, and Queen Wasp took her. We think she's keeping the flame silks somewhere around here." Belladonna, Hemlock, and Sundu all glanced at one another, suddenly alert. Belladonna, Hemlock, and Sund—That's Sundew started. Yes, Hemlock answered. Aha. Said Belladonna. What Blue asked. What aha? It seems Belladonna said, taking another step closer to him. That we can be use of one another after all. We can. You see, Belladonna went on, we know where the flame silks are. Blue's jaw dropped. Cricket sat up, her ears twitching and her eyes bright. Even Soretail looked suddenly more excited than worried. Where are they? Blue asked. Did you see a c- new cocoon that was there? Was it all right? We could take you to their prison, Belladonna said. We can even help you sneak in to rescue your sister. You just have to do one thing for us. Blue's heart sank. Whatever Leafwings wanted, it couldn't be good. "'or safe, or smart. "'I won't hurt anyone,' he said. "'You don't have to,' Belladonna said with her quicksand smile. "'We're not here to attack the hive or fight any dragons, "'no matter what your queen, queen's propaganda says about us. "'We're here for one little thing, "'and since we've been having quite a lot of trouble "'figuring out how to accomplish our goal, "'I think you've come along just in the nick of time. "'A desperate silkwing and a helpful hivewing are just what we need.' "'For what?' Blue asked. What do you want us to do? Uh, if you want our help finding your sister, Belladonna said smoothly, all you have to do is steal the Book of Clear (laughs) Sight.